All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Yo, 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 it's the Daily Faceoff Show, and today is the last day of February. It's also three weeks until the NHL's trade deadline, and you're watching the Daily Faceoff Show streaming live on Twitter, YouTube, as well as, of course, dailyfaceoff.com. He is Chris Gear, former Vancouver Canucks Assistant General Manager and Chief Legal Officer. Chris, how was your weekend? Weekend was great. A lot of really fun games to watch this weekend, and uh, excited to start the week off here with you. Yeah, let's uh, stadium series, no doubt. Let's uh, let's put two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and let's drop the puck with that stadium series. Of course, the biggest story in the hockey world today is what's going on between Russia and the IHF and potentially some sanctions coming as a result of the IHF council meeting that is now underway in Europe. We'll get to that in our big segment of the day and lean on Chris and his legal expertise. But first, Got to talk stadium series, Chris. It looked awesome. And for one of the rare NHL outdoor games, the action on the ice seemed to match the atmosphere inside Nissan Stadium. What'd you see? Yeah, 100%. I mean, the game itself, you had a close game. You had the the stars that you want to see contributing. Stamkos, Point, Kucherov, uh, Forsberg, Janot, the two goalies, like all of those guys that, that you'd want to hype in a game like that played well. Um, but more than that, the spectacle of it was fantastic, right? 68,000 fans. Uh, Nissan Stadium looked amazing the way they had outfitted it. Uh, you had the the country stars, you know, bring in the teams and then do the anthem. And you had dancers. And 
the, the whole spectacle of it was outstanding. And, you know, I, I noted in an article on the weekend that you've got an outdoor game being played in Nashville against a team from Tampa. Uh, three weeks after they had another signature event in Las Vegas. I mean, the NHL is is firing on all cylinders, getting into those Southern markets. And I, I think it's, it's outstanding theater. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of disappointed that it took the NHL this long to get an outdoor game played in Nashville. You know, you, you yeah. see some of the messages on social media, the fact that people were able to pregame all Saturday on lower Broadway and then walk just a few blocks across the Cumberland river and the bridge right over to Nissan stadium and then get a primetime game under the lights with the stars, the country music stars and the action on the ice, as you mentioned, close game, one goal game, uh, heading into the the last few minutes there. It was just about everything you could want from an NHL outdoor contest. Uh, obviously didn't end the way that the Nashville Predators, as you see them saluting their fans here, uh, falling one goal short to the Tampa Bay Lightning. That game also meant something for the Preds in their playoff chase as well. And uh, Chris, we had a chance to talk to Tanner Janot, who scored for the Nashville Predators, is now actually tied for the rookie scoring lead with 18 goals with Michael Bunting. He was on the DFO Rundown today with myself and Jason Greger, episode 108, if you want to check it out wherever you get your podcast. And you saw some of the images as the Nashville Predators and Tampa Bay Lightning were walking into Nissan Stadium. Well, how about this? Typical, pure Saskatchewan boy in Tanner's, you know, everyone was asking the Preds, hey, what do you want to put on your custom-made leather jacket? He said, how about the grain elevator from Oxbow, Saskatchewan, his hometown? Pretty awesome to see and uh, pure Sasky right there, Chris. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, just the whole Smashville brand, right, where they have, you know, I talked to a few people that were at the game and they didn't even really know the score. They were sitting too far away to really see it, but they were super happy just because of the environment, the atmosphere, the, you know, the show that was put on around the event. And then, you know, to have the players, uh, you know, head downtown in, in jackets like that, just what a festival atmosphere it must've been uh, a time of people's lives. Good on the NHL. <laughs> And, and I'm pretty sure if I had a chance to hang out on lower Broadway before the game, I would also have zero clue what the score is by the time you get to the third period. Exactly. Uh, speaking of uh, an interesting contest on Saturday, how about the Detroit Red Wings and Toronto Maple Leafs dialing it back to 1984 with some of this action at 10-7 game that uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs end up prevailing in. And I think, you know, when you look at the surface, it's easy to kind of push that game aside and say 17 goals in one game. Come on, how often does that happen? Mm -hmm. To me, Chris, I think it speaks to a larger issue that exists with the Toronto Maple Leafs and their goaltending. So my question to you is, on a 1-10 to 10 scale, when you look at the Maple Leafs and their stats, these are the numbers since January 1st. If you stretch back even further since December 7th, Jack Campbell has an 890 save percentage. A lot of his the weaknesses in his game have been masked over by the fact that they've somehow found a way to escape or, or outscore some of their issues in net on a one to ten scale. What is your level of concern for the Leafs and their goaltending? Oh boy, uh, it's got to be approaching a six or a seven. I mean, Jack Campbell started off the season so well. Um, you know, just looked like he had answered all of the Leafs' prayers in nets, but. You know, the numbers you're showing now, these are not trends that you want to see as you head toward the playoffs for either goalie. I mean, seeing the highlights from that game, I thought it was watching an exhibition game between the Argos and the Lions, right? I mean, it, uh, 
it's pretty wild. I think I think the Leafs are going to have to seriously think about whether these two guys can carry them uh, in the playoffs or whether they need to to look at another option. Um, you know, Campbell has shown that he is capable, but again, the trend is going the wrong way. Man, grain elevators, Argos. I mean, we're like a <laughs> pinball Clemens reference away from the Canadian trifecta here. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to to take a look at the Leafs and their goaltending. I, I actually, I'm much more concerned than you are. Like, I give it a nine out of ten, and the reason for that is this: they've shown in the past that their scoring, at least historically, has dried up when you get to the playoffs. Austin Matthews has three goals in his last twelve Stanley Cup playoff games. You can't outrun poor goaltending in the playoffs. And maybe this is just a sort of blip on the radar. Maybe the Leafs hope that Campbell or Mrazek, one of the two, will rebound in time to give them serviceable goaltending. They can look at defense. Uh, they can you know, potentially try and add some toughness up front or a little bit of hard skill if they're mm -hmm. interested. But I think you have to get your goaltending right or else if you get to the playoffs and you're thinking that you're going to need to score four or five or six in a night, outscore your goaltending i just don't know that that's a recipe for success yeah frank when you look at some of the trade targets in goal that you've identified um you know look at dallas you, you could take a player like holtby or hudobin uh just in and around the two million mark and if they were to put Morazic in the minors and save you know 1.125 on his buried charge it doesn't take an awful lot of extra cap space to bring in one of those guys so could those be an option for for toronto maybe uh we'll, we'll see what We'll see whether Kyle Dubas has that uh, that uh, scale of nervousness that you seem to have for them. Yeah, I, I don't think they're quite there yet, but I, I think it's certainly something that should be building as we're exactly three weeks out from the NHL's trade deadline on March 21st. From one team that needs goaltending to another in the New Jersey Devils, Mackenzie Blackwood has been out. Jonathan Bernier has been out. Uh, they've been rolling with Nico Dawes in net, the 21-year-old. A lot to ask for a guy uh, who's come in and played quite well. You see over the weekend the job that he did against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So in the short term and potentially for a long-term solution, even when Mackenzie Blackwood gets back, his numbers haven't exactly been to the level that you'd like him to be at for a couple seasons now. Goaltending is number one on the radar, but Chris, when we talk about teams that get close to the deadline that are potential wild cards, non-playoff teams that you say, hey, what is this team going to be up to at the deadline? My answer is the New Jersey Devils could be just about anything. Clearly, they're in the goaltending market, but I think that they're potentially interested in reshuffling the deck a little bit, not just to do it, but if they have an opportunity to make their team better and maybe trade a piece here or there. Uh, some different names have popped up. You see some of them here on the Devils scoring list. Damon Severson is a guy that I think has generated some interest in other teams' front offices. Uh, I think a lot of teams wonder, is Jesper Bratt available? I don't have any indication yet, Chris, that either one of those players is sort of readily available. But I think when you look at where the New Jersey Devils are heading, maybe the best way to explain it is that only Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer are the untouchables. Would that sound right to you? Yeah, I think so. Maybe a guy like Dawson Mercer on that list as well. But um, yeah, you know, they've got RFAs that they control. Uh, really, the only expiring UFA of significance is Subban. Uh, it would be probably hard to move his contract, although he is only making $2 million in actual cash this year. Um, so you could see a potential where, you know, a third-party broker, that idea that we talked about last week, maybe somebody comes in and uh, if New Jersey eats some money and somebody else takes some, 
you know, maybe Sudan could be an ad for someone at the deadline. But, um, you know, a lot of young players on RFAs, I think for the most part, New Jersey should probably just stay the course. Um, you know, they've got guys like Alexander Holtz coming next year. Um, so I, I think they're poised to, to, to grow just naturally from within over the next few years. But, you know, you do hear, you do hear Brat's name and Zaka's name a little bit. And, you know, could they be tempted to, to move on and try to change the mix a little bit? We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, Zaka has been on our trade targets list on dailyfaceoff.com for a few weeks now. Be really curious to see what other names get added in the short term because I think the Devils, as I said, you look at some of these non-playoff teams that could really mix it up, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the East has sort of largely been decided. If you're one of those teams also playing in the Metro Division, how do you find a way to crack that top four or top five to get into a playoff spot next year? Not going to be easy to do and might require some significant surgery either now at the deadline or as you get closer to uh, the offseason and before the NHL draft. So another team that is fascinating, Chris, to watch when you get to the deadline is going to be the Anaheim Ducks. Their new GM, Pat Verbeek, is barely two or three weeks on the job, yet he's already facing or staring down some pretty significant decisions. And he had some comments today with Pierre Lebrun in The Athletic that basically said, when it comes to our UFA pieces, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, uh, Ricard Raquel up front, we're either going to be re-signing these guys or I can't let them walk for free in the summer. So as important as the Ducks have uh, been close to this playoff chase and as important as it might be to try and get in as a wild card team, how do you balance if you're in the front office of the Anaheim Ducks, Chris, the idea of trying to remain competitive while also keeping an eye on the longer term future of your franchise that really the Ducks have been building for for the last number of years? That's exactly the the balance that you have to strike, right? And, um, you know, if he's going to try and make attempts to re-sign those guys and and they're unsuccessful, then I think it's easier to sell to his team that those attempts were made and then they had to move on. Uh, At the end of the day, you've got 23 guys who've been busting their humps to get into the playoffs. And if you go to that team now uh, with, you know, 25 games left in the season and say, hey, you guys did a hell of a job, but now we're going to sell off three guys on expiring deals and build for the future, you know, you can lose a lot of credibility with, with the guys in the room. So, um, you know, I think they do need to, if, if they're going to make attempts to resign those guys, great. If they can't resign them, they do have to move off them. And I think that's, that's the right approach, but maybe at the same time, I mean, it's a team with cap space. It's a team that could try to, to go and get somebody to help for the push, maybe somebody with some terms so that if they have to move on from guys, they can also bring in guys. And then the message to the room is, Hey, we, we're doing what we have to for the future, but we, we value what you guys have accomplished this year and want to still give you a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of tough to juggle both those things because at the same time, you know, if you're trading away three pending UFAs, you're probably cutting out the legs from under your team to compete this year and potentially probably even next year. I mean, that's really the toughest part about this for the Ducks is while on paper, the sort of extensions and and those conversations yes pad for beak is only a couple weeks on the job everyone has sort of a general idea of what kind of neighborhood those guys might be in to keep players like lindholm and manson the thing is if you were to take those pieces off the table 
how do you replace them for your team next season, which I think is is the bigger challenge. That's the other yeah. part of this consideration that Pat Verbeek has uh, in his new role, the Anaheim Ducks. So certainly uh, not envious of the position that he's stepping into, sort of one, one foot in the frying pan, the other one in the pressure cooker there in Anaheim. Yeah, absolutely. Especially on D, right? If you're going to try and replace the minutes that, that Lindholm and Manson give you, I mean, that is not an easy task. So uh, those are big decisions. I think if they can at least get one of those defensemen resigned, preferably Lindholm, just given the, the, the youth that he has over Manson, uh, you know, I think that's, um, I think that's going to be a step in the right direction. And then if you had to move on from, from Manson, maybe the, you know, the, the team can understand uh, where you're going. We always used okay. to say that, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, let's dive into uh, the big topic of the day, uh, the IHF meeting to deliberate about uh, sanctions potentially coming for the Russian Ice Hockey Federation. All right, Chris, uh, this segment is delivered by DoorDash. And... When you take a look at what's happening today, the IAHF's council meeting is now underway in Europe. The 14-member council is deliberating how to handle the Russian Ice Hockey Federation and participation in competition moving forward. You've seen in the, in the last few days, Sweden, Latvia, Switzerland, all of their federations have all put out significant statements condemning the actions of the Russian government uh, invading a sovereign state in Ukraine. And you look moving forward, the IOC, FIFA, they've all made uh, different plans to try and exclude Russian athletes from participating in international events and tournaments. Do you have any sense or, or thought in terms of what makes uh, a logical step forward for the IAHF to take, given what we know heading into the meeting? Yeah, well, I think the IHF needs to to follow suit with some of these other organizations in sport, realizing that that sport is a powerful influencer on the the world political stage. Um, you know, Russia, Saint Petersburg was scheduled to or is scheduled to host the twenty twenty three World Juniors. Um, you know, I, I think it would be a bold but but very logical step for the IHF to say, no, we're we're stripping that tournament from you. Uh, and to also ban, you know, Russian athletes from participation in, in any international tournaments uh, and, until this conflict is resolved. Um, so, you know, I, th I think FIFA, like you said, FIFA and the IOC and others have made those important decisions. The, the UK came out and banned a basketball team from Belarus from participating in a tournament in the UK because Belarus is seen as supporting Russia. Um, so I think, you know, these are the kinds of actions that are that are needed to try to put pressure on Russia to, to back down. So I think, you know, if the IHF doesn't take these steps, then uh, I think that's a big miss on their part. Yeah, so we've heard the term in the last few weeks, especially around the Olympics, is called sport washing. And clearly, hockey has been a big part of Russia's identity. Uh, it's been a big part of Vladimir Putin's way to sort of ingratiate himself into the Russian public. He, you know, plays hockey, has a or had a really chummy relationship with the outgoing IHF president Rene Fassel. Um, 
So when you look at the options that are on the table, Chris, for the IHF, we talked about potentially stripping this tournament, the World Juniors, that's uh, 10 months away and, and, and potentially excluding Russian participation from something as soon as uh, the upcoming World Championships in Finland scheduled for May, as well as the World Juniors that were rescheduled for August in Edmonton. There's also been some talk about potentially uh, – expelling Russia and the Federation from the IHF membership in general. That would seem to be a little bit more of a drastic case. Do you think that that's something that could happen as soon as today or is something like that, you know, maybe easier to act on some of these things that are in the short term before then considering what to happen with the Russian Federation next? Yeah, that would certainly be a major step. I mean, Russia has become so integral to international hockey, right? There's so many players that are playing in North America and obviously in the KHL. And, you know, for the IHF to, to take such a drastic step would be a real sea change and, and potentially affect relations far down the road, even hopefully after this, this conflict is resolved. Um, but, you know, drastic times uh, or desperate times call for desperate measures. So I, I, I think you know, we could see something like that. Okay, so Chris, let's bring it back to the NHL and what this potentially means for the league in both the short term and the long term with the political climate that's out there at the moment and the push for governments to send a harsh message to Russia. Uh, I have a source in the Department of State here in the U.S. who mentioned to me over the weekend that one of the things that the Department of State is considering is potentially uh, suspending or revoking the work visas that are in place for Russian-born athletes, entertainers, performers. This would stretch obviously well beyond hockey. This would include tennis. This would include ballet and dance. Anything that you could think of that would involve a Russian-born uh, performer or athlete working and living in the United States. What kind of, um, you know, we know what kind of message that would send uh, to Russia, particularly with some of the stars that play in the NHL, but could that have a significant impact on NHL business? Well, it absolutely could. I mean, there, there's 50 or so Russian players actively playing in the NHL, um, probably about 5% of, of the league's active rosters. Um, it would be a devastating impact. I, I really see that as being difficult um, for them to, to do legally, right? Just, you know, players who have had visas adjudicated upon and issued, um, you know, it, right now there, there wouldn't be any way to revoke visas unless there was some sort of fraud committed or the basis upon which the visa was issued was done under, under false pretenses or the person has committed a crime or has had a, uh, some sort of status update without notifying the authorities during their time under the visa. Uh, for a revocation to happen merely based on place of origin, I, I don't know that there's any precedent for that. Uh, I think certainly they could issue an order suspending review of any uh, pending applications or, or just saying that they're not going to consider new applications. Uh, but the idea that they could revoke existing work permits or visas that have been issued, that I think that would be, um, you know, these people are here with families usually. They're sponsored by their employers. I think that would uh, involve a lot of litigation and a lot of people uh, and NHL owners, you know, et cetera, that would be uh, pretty invested in, in not seeing that happen. Yeah, it would certainly make a lot of people uncomfortable as it relates to the NHL. Uh, just in terms of doing my reporting for the story, uh, I did speak to a number of NHL player agents that have Russian-born clients that are playing in the NHL. And they said to remind that 
uh, almost half, they would suspect, of the Russian-born players that are currently in the league have a green card, which is permanent, permanent resident status, which really can't be revoked for something like that. Um, but I think your point is well made and that there is a lot of concern about uh, potential renewals of visas as well as new applications that are sent uh, by Russian-born athletes uh, do you think quickly any sense that that could impact how teams do business over the summer in terms of signing free agents and or drafting Russian-born players? Yeah, well, it's already hard enough to sign Russian players, right? I mean, you've got the KHL always trying to offer competitive deals for players to stay over there. If this adds one more hurdle, the fact that you may not be able to get them a visa, you know, I can see a lot of KHL players saying, okay, I'm just going to take the money while it's being offered to me and stay in the KHL. So, uh, you know, not to mention that there could be a Russian backlash over the next few years over some of this. So uh, could we see fewer any or uh, Russian players coming over to the NHL on entry-level deals and free agent deals? Possibly. I, I think this could have a dramatic effect on that. Yeah, Chris, it's been fascinating to watch. Uh, always, the story's always changing. We're waiting for news from the double IHF and their council meeting, which is underway, as we mentioned, currently in Europe. We've seen other actions by teams with relations to the KHL and Russia. We saw a team in Riga, Latvia, as well as Jokerit in Helsinki. Both have totally cut ties with Russia's KHL. We'll see what other kinds of impacts there are in the hockey world. Great to tap into your legal expertise. Chris, this has been a deep dive on the Russian-Ukraine situation that is unfolding before all of our eyes, presented by DoorDash. You see the promo codes at the bottom of your screen. DFODD is the promo code in Canada. DFODDUS, both those codes get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with DoorDash. All your favorites and more delivered right to your door by DoorDash. <laughs> All right, Chris, it's time for our Daily Faceoff Show inbox question of the day. Hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskDFO. That was such a heavy subject. We need to have a little fun here. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the clip or not, but how about this? Gary Bettman, NHL commissioner, taking part in the sewer ball or two-touch game played by the Nashville Predators before the game. He sort of gets in his kick and gives a little wave and is off and on his way. And so my question to you is, give me one gif or meme to how you would explain Gary Bettman's participation in the two-touch game. Yeah, so I picked, I picked a, uh, a meme of Dr. Evil trying to uh, tell his son Scott that he was still hip and cool and with it and <laughs> showing him the Macarena. So yeah. I think that was pretty apropos. Yeah, uh, sounds about right. And I, uh, I came up with the Steve Buscemi, hello, fellow kids, how do you do? So there you go. Uh, one of my favorite memes or gifts and on the internet. Look, it's easy to have fun at the commissioner's expense, but in this case, kind of cool that he would even sort of mosey on over to the soccer game. He's always got his sneaks on with the suit, so he's, uh, he's always comfortable. Uh, nice to see him have a little fun as well and, and get involved uh, on a human level with players. He's sometimes just a guy that uh, players don't interact with or see. So nice to see him there at the stadium series, getting in a kick or two. Uh, let's for bring sure. in Tyler Yemchuk for our daily face-off daily bet segment. Tyler, you have been man on fire. Are you ready to say that you are back to the level that you were at, at the beginning of the season? 
Uh, maybe not quite, but we had a really good weekend. We hit a total of five bets and four of them paid out plus 150 or better. So we're starting to make back a little bit of money here after what was a pretty rough February as a whole. Tonight, I am starting with a matchup between Vancouver and New Jersey. So let's dig into it, courtesy of our friends at PointsBet. And listen, I get the Canucks are playing the second of back-to-backs here, but this is a team that's been playing really well. And I just straight up don't think they should be underdogs in this game. And Honestly, I thought about getting a little bit greedy and taking them maybe in regulation. I thought for a second about taking them on kind of the reverse puck line, but I'm going to play it safe here. I'm going to take the Canucks as underdogs at plus 110. This is a team that's 7-3-0 in their last 10. Going up against a Devils team, that's 3-7-0 in their last 10. The Canucks, since the beginning of January, are 14th in the NHL in points percentage. You know, they've been a slightly above average team so far in 2022. The Devils, on the other hand, they're 30th in the league in points percentage. So again, the Canucks second of back-to-backs worries me a little bit, but not enough to scare me away from the fact that this is an underdog bet. And I think the Canucks have a good chance of winning their second straight game. They're also just in New York playing the Rangers. So it's not like they had a ton of travel involved. Anyways, Yaroslav Halak as well, only 13 goals against in his last five starts. So I think the Canucks are going to be able to win this game. And that ties in nicely to my player prop today, which is centered around Elias Pettersson, who's playing some great hockey as of late. He's really seemed to have found his game. He's grabbed an assist in four of his last five games and actually has seven assists in that span. So I like him to grab an assist. And I'm going to do something I haven't done. Usually it's just straight up one unit plays for me, but I'm putting a unit on Pettersson over half an assist. And then I'm actually going half a unit on him to go over a point and a half. He's done this in five of his last 10 games. And the payout on this is plus 300. That's a really good payout for something that's happened in 50% of his last 10 games. I like Pedersen to have a good game. I like the Canucks to win. So I'm putting two and a half units on this game tonight between the Canucks and Devils, Frank. Uh, big boy bets there from Tyler Remchuk. Love it. We'll wait to see tomorrow. Interested to see how it all plays out. Chris, that brings us to my favorite segment of the show, and that is garbage time. We talked earlier in the first segment about the stadium series. Tanner Janot scoring in uh, the outdoor game. He's now tied for the NHL's rookie scoring lead with 18 goals. And you wanted to focus on the man who he's tied with in Toronto, who also has 18 goals. Yeah, I want to talk about Michael Bunting and sorry for the rest of the league that we're going back to Toronto here, but uh, Bunting has been just an exceptional story this year. He spent five years in the Arizona organization and I'm not sure how they didn't see what was to come for him. Uh, Five years ago, the guy spent seven games in the ECHL uh, in the first year of his ELC. And then the progression since then has been astounding. It it reminds me a lot of Alex Burroughs when he started in the ECHL, made his way up to Manitoba Moose, ended up playing on the first line with Hank and Danny Sedin, and was the type of player that had enough grit to go to the hard areas and get them the puck, but also enough finish. Um, And I see a lot of that in bunting. Um, You know, the five-point night the other night, he had a beautiful play where he, he... had a defense defenseman chasing him, deked out the goalie and then dropped it for Marner to have a yawning cage. I mean, it was, uh, he's just, he's doing all the right things. And, and Kyle Dubas, what a score to get this guy a two-year deal at 950 AAV. So next year, he's still a bargain. Um, just an unbelievable uh, circumstance for the Leafs. And uh, yeah, you look at the, the surplus value he's providing over uh, Zach Hyman, who they let walk in free agency, signed with Edmonton. Uh, you know, to get 
<laughs> more production out of bunting than Hyman at a cap savings of you know almost uh, four and a half million dollars. It's it's an outstanding play for the Leafs. They deserve a lot of credit for for seeing what Arizona obviously didn't see in bunting. Well, there's so many layers to it. I mean, the fact that he also is signed, as you mentioned, for that second year, like that is real. Like it was one thing to get the player and to get him into your lineup and to get that kind of production out of him this year. But the fact that you also have another year on on his deal for a guy that never had a one-way contract before is outstanding. Uh, the vision to see that, hey, maybe this guy could be our $950,000 version of Zach Hyman. All of that is impressive in and of itself. To me, I think the real miss is on the Arizona Coyotes. He was a group six free agent, obviously had the right to walk at that point, uh, having not played the requisite number of NHL games. And by the way, there's a number of first round picks from 2015 and 2014 that are coming due this season as group six free agents. We'll keep an eye on that in terms of which players might be available. But this is a guy that scored 10 goals in 21 games for your team last year. You're the Coyotes. You need bodies in your lineup. And yet they let Bunting walk. Clearly, in this case, it could not have been about the money necessarily uh, because Bunting signed for so relatively little in Toronto. Maybe it was the second year that helped. Maybe it was the opportunity on a really good team and out of Arizona. Maybe there's the Sioux connection that exists there between Kyle Dubas and, of course, uh, Bunting having played in the Sioux. But the vision, uh, the lack of vision from the Coyotes, there's a lot of layers to this, and I'm really glad that you pointed that out today, Chris, in our Garbage Time segment. Chris, thanks so much. That'll do it for today's edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Great to have you alongside. Great to dive in on what's going on between Russia and Ukraine and everything that's happening and the impact across the hockey world. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the league, as well as Scott Burnside's story as he checks in once we get news from the double IHF later today. We'll be back tomorrow, 12 noon Eastern. You know where to find us. Until then, have a great day, everyone. Thanks for watching the Daily Face-Off Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.